Welcome to Calvary. Glad that you are here with us. Glad for all of you that are joining with us online today. And a beautiful day, great day to be in God's house. And I trust that you've already been encouraged for having been here. We are in the midst of a series called One Thing. Say that together with me. Ready? One Thing. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have some habits that... Um, seem to follow me no matter what conversation I'm having with whoever I'm having it with on the phone. Do you have any of those? Do you have like a certain greeting that you give to everyone? Do you have a, a certain way that you end a conversation with everyone on the phone? Do you have certain things that you say? I have found this. Uh, whenever I'm calling customer service, um, for just about anybody lately, doesn't really matter. I could be calling for, you know, my TV service, my, my cell phone, uh, credit card. It seems to me that every time I'm done with that conversation, the representative says, bye for now. Did you catch that one? Bye for now. That, that's the inflection of the voice. That's exactly what they say. And I'm like, did they like go to a school for this or something? I mean, customer service 101, bye for now. As if what they're saying is, we know you're going to be calling again. So this is goodbye for now. We'll talk to you next time. Um, my, my dad, whenever I would call him, when we, were, when we were out on the road traveling, you know, could call him at like 1 in the morning. I knew he'd be awake, you know, and we'd be driving through the night. And, and I would call him up, and I'd say, hey, Dad, how you doing? No matter how he was doing, whether he was doing great or, you know, latter years of his life, might not have been feeling it well, how you doing? I'm here. That was his phrase. Every time, I'm here. The other thing that Dad would do is every time he got done with the conversation, okay, could be a, a pleasant conversation, could be with family, could be with customer service, could be with a pastor, could be somebody that he's kind of, you know, given that vocal preacher type voice to. And whenever he was done, he'd close the conversation by saying, bye-bye, bye-bye. And my mother, if she was in the room, would always mimic that, bye-bye, bye-bye. As if, why do you sound so weird when you say goodbye to people, bye-bye. Now, but here's the thing. Mom has her own ways on the phone, okay? For instance, it doesn't matter how I answer the phone. I could answer the phone, hey, hello, how's it going? I could see that it's her and say, hey, mom. The next words out of her mouth are going to be, Billy? As if it's a question mark, okay? Even if I say, hey, mom, Billy? Nope, sorry. You've got the wrong number, click. Okay, no, I don't do that. But she will always ask, you know, as if just double-checking. But here is the second thing that mom will say. Here's the second thing. Um, just a couple of things. Just, my sister-in-law is laughing because she has heard it before. Just a couple of things. Uh, as, as if, if there's only one, she's going to wait until there's two to give you a call. Um, and she wants you to understand there's a priority to this call. There's two things that she needs. Now, the good thing about that is if there's a couple of things, well, then I get to prioritize which one is important, right? Just a couple of things. In Scripture, we are finding there is a phrase that says one thing. One thing, which means the priority is already given. The priority is already given. In fact, I was talking to my mom the other day, and she was asking, you know, what's the series that you're in at church? And, and I was telling her one thing. She said, well, how many one things are there? I said, well, there's a few. <laughs> there's a few. But here's the deal. All of the phrases one thing are trying to get our attention, trying to point our focus to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Every one of these statements is endeavoring to point us in his direction. And that's, that's where we're going to wind up today. 
Last week, we, we talked about the psalmist, David, who said, one thing God has spoken. No, we better pay attention to that. One thing God has spoken. But here's what David realized. G God said one thing, but, you know, I mean, God is a lot bigger than we are. Uh, he, he even says in his word, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, so don't even try. Um, so he says, one thing God has spoken, but he said, David said, I had to break it into two so that we could understand it. And last week we talked about the fact that God is great and God is good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that little prayer that you prayed when you were a kid, it, it, it's got a whole lot of theological backbone to it. God is great and God is good. And we need both. We need both. Because if God was just great, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Okay? If all we're going to rely on is the greatness of God, we're in a lot of trouble because we can't match up. But God is not just great. God is good. Psalm 23, he would say what? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And while God is great and I don't measure up, in his goodness, he sent his son. And if I put my faith and trust in him, all of a sudden I am in right standing with a great and powerful God. And therefore, Psalmist David would say in another passage that we looked at at the tail end of last week, my one thing is that I want to be in his presence all the time. I want to be in his temple every day. There was no temple. Temple hadn't even been built. It would be his son who would get the opportunity to do that. And we would find out that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you and I are the temple of the living God. So we have the opportunity to be in his presence every day. One thing, one thing. Well, today we're going to look at a New Testament scripture. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, you, can, you can grab your, your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, you can actually download one right here. Just go to uversion.com. You can download it right on your phone. uversion.com, and you can get a Bible. If you're online with us, just there's a tab, especially if you're on the online platform, that you can click, and a Bible will be right there in front of you. And I want you to follow along today as we look at Luke chapter 10. And in this chapter, there is a whole lot going on. Um, Jesus has been part of all kinds of miracles and messages and ministry, and he finds himself kind of winding down. And for Jesus, when he kind of wanted to unwind, when he wanted, you know, just to enjoy and relax, he wound up at some friend's house more than on one occasion. He would find himself at the people's house that we're going to talk about today. I don't know where you go when you, you know, just kind of want to unwind or maybe for some of you at your house, although some of you haven't had power this week, so you probably were like, is there anywhere else I could go to unwind? Because it's really hot. Um, and, uh, but, but maybe there's a, a place that you like to go, you know, a place that you just kind of visit and you just, oh, Jesus, that's the way it was for him and his disciples whenever they went to this particular house. They would just kind of be able to, oh, breathe easy relax, rest. And so I want you to notice uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 38. And, and this is what it said. Now it happened as they went that he entered, Jesus entered with his disciples a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want to give you today four words, five words, excuse me. I'm going to give you five words, and uh, these five words are going to, in essence, describe what's happening here, and also define and describe the people that are involved in this story. So if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down, because I think you're going to find yourself in one of these places. We will find ourselves in one of these situations. This will be defining for us who maybe we are when it comes to the one thing that Jesus said was important. The first word that I want you to write down is preparation. Can you say that with me? Ready? Preparation. Preparation. A certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. What is going on? Martha is preparing her home. She is preparing her house. She is preparing a meal because Jesus is coming. And she wants to make sure that everything is right. Martha and Mary are very good friends of Jesus along with their brother, a guy by the name of Lazarus. They are mentioned a few times in Scripture and, in fact, near the end of Jesus' ministry. One of the most miraculous stories features these three. And part of the reason I think Jesus chose them and allowed what happened to happen is because of his relationship with Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. Martha is in preparation mode. She is preparing the house. She is preparing the meal. She has heard that Jesus is headed her direction, and she wants everything to be just right. You can imagine, right? I mean, you can imagine how perfect she wants things to be. And some of you, you understand that. That's the way you are. When you have people coming over, you want everything to be just right, okay? You've got, some of you, some of you are like me. You you have a problem. Let's just admit it, okay? Um, I, I mean, I, I have enough of a problem that last evening my wife is, is, is laying on the couch and she's got a favorite blanket. There's kind of a favorite blanket in the, of the family, actually. The girls would even say this. There's a blanket that's just been around forever and it's comfortable enough and it has enough memories and meaning to it that, you know, you get it fixed if it rips and that kind of thing. It's that kind of blanket. She's laying on that that blanket, and she's got a pillow, and she's just relaxing and that kind of thing, and she gets up to go upstairs and go to bed, and it's time for us to retire for the evening, and she will say to me, leave that right there, okay, because she knows I've got a problem, okay, I'm not going to leave it, I'm going to fold it up and put it away, and she's like, I'm going to come back to that, and I don't want to have to search for it, I don't have to get it out again, leave it there. Maybe you're kind of like that, and you just, you know, you, you always like things to be in place. That's Martha. She wants it all to be perfect, and so she is in preparation mode, all right? She is working, trying to make sure that everything is done. When I was a little boy, and I mean like 
little boy. This is like pre-Bill Knapp's beef carver days for me. Uh, we would go to my grandma's for dinner. And she lived right over here on, on the corner of Kennebec and uh, our corner of uh, Richmond and Leroy. They had a house over there that they bought when it was first built. And my grandparents, we'd have dinner over there, and the family would come. And most of the time, it was the same meal every Sunday. But I, it's funny. I can't remember what she tells me to get at the store, but I can remember this. I'm sitting there at a little boy, and I still can hear my grandpa. Pearl, get in here. <laughs> you know, grandpa just got done talking about the love of Jesus. <laughs> Pearl, uh, he's yelling at grandma. Why? Because she's in the kitchen, even though it's just the family. She wants to make sure everything is perfect. Everything is, so we can be like halfway through the meal, and she's still in there checking out preparation, making sure it's perfect. That's Martha. That's Martha. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Need that. Here's the second word. Position. Say that with me. Ready? Position. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet. The position of, of Mary was that Jesus was in the house and she was going to be right where she could hear from him. She was going to put herself in position to hear what God had to say. And let me tell you something. If you want to hear from God, as much as you would love to think that he's going to tap you on the shoulder and speak in an audible voice, it's not going to happen. He has given us so many ways and so many avenues from which we can hear from him, but you have to put yourself in position to hear from God. And that's where Mary is. It's not that she was lazy, all right? Some people might look at that and go, oh, yeah, well, there's Martha working her fingers to the bone in the kitchen, and then, you know, lazy Mary. No, no, no. I'm sure that Mary had done her part. I mean, they knew Jesus was coming. I'm pretty sure that Martha had said, Mary, clean up your room. Okay? Jesus is coming. Let's make sure we've got that cleaned up. And she'd done her part. You know, Lazarus probably had to vacuum, take the trash out, that kind of thing. I mean, I mean she hadn't done it all by herself. But now... They have a moment. Jesus is in the house. This doesn't happen every day. And I have, a, I have a chance, I have an opportunity to be at his feet. When we have those opportunities, we don't take advantage of them. We don't take advantage of them. Do you realize that in our online ministry, we've, we've had people that have actually been able to view us, that have watched us from a place around the world where when they gather on Sunday morning, they tear up pages of the Bible and pass them out. That's how precious it is. And the next week, they bring that page, and they give it to somebody else, and they trade the pages of God's Word because if they get caught, they're in trouble. We've had people watch us from countries just like that. And let's be honest, we can't even comprehend. And we could say we comprehend, but we don't. Because we don't even have a Bible in church. We've got, we've got three or four of them at home, and, and if, if somebody's coming over in preparation, we might dust them off, wipe those things off, make sure... What are you doing when you, 
when you open that book, what, you're putting yourself in position. You're, you're at Jesus' feet. You're at Jesus' feet. And, and the, the thing is, at times we have to make the choice. Am I going to prepare the house or am I going to prepare my heart? Am I going to position my heart to hear from Jesus? And we can so easily focus on the imperfections. That, that's what Martha's doing. She's like, oh, I got to do this. I gotta, these green beans are going to burn. I got to pull them out of the... But you only have these moments at certain times. And Mary has put herself in position to experience the moments of the miraculous with Jesus in the house. I, I shared with you last week an illustration. I just, I kind of breezed through it. Uh, an illustration that I had shared every Tuesday night uh, this past summer when I spoke to the young people of a camp. And, and there's this guy that, you know, none of them and none of you are probably going to know. His name is Mark Iaconelli. But he wrote this book called Messy Spirituality. Which, first of all, I love the title. Because that's not often the way we think. We think in means of keep it all prim and proper and perfect. But I wanted to read for you verbatim what he said so I didn't miss it and I didn't mess it up because it fits so well with what we're talking about today. He says, for a period of time, we were lucky to have a housekeeper. She would come in once a week to dust, vacuum, and clean every little out-of-the-way corner of our house. I dreaded the day she came because my wife and I would spend all morning cleaning the house for the housekeeper. We didn't want the house to be dirty, or what would the housekeeper think? You like that? Our house never looks cleaner than when we're about ready to leave for a few days. Now I have grown to understand why my dear wife does that. But man, it, it, the last thing is we vacuum before we leave the house. I'm like, are we doing this for the guy that's robbing us? Or what? I mean, nobody's going to be here. We, we like it, we like to think, don't we? Even when we're away, it's all ready. It's nice. He continues on. He says, we act the same way with God. We talk our way out of the spiritual life by refusing to come to God as we are. Instead, we decide to wait until we are ready to come to God as we aren't. We decide that the way we lived yesterday, last week, or last year makes us damaged goods. And that until we start living right, we're not really the kind of material that God is looking for. Some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we aren't choosable. That until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. And the opposite is true. Until we admit we are a mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. Once we admit how unlovely we are, how unattractive we are, how lost we are, Jesus shows up unexpectedly. And according to the New Testament, Jesus is attracted to the unattractive. He prefers the lost over the found, the losers over the winners, the broken instead of the whole, the messy instead of the unmessy, the crippled instead of the non-crippled. The Messiah came because we were a mess. And when we admit that, we put ourselves in position to hear from him. When we admit that we're a mess, 
And, and you know the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with, right? All the people that went around looking like they had it all together. Now, trust me when I say I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we should just, you know, next Sunday, roll out of bed at, you know, quarter to 11 and come on in. There's nothing wrong with preparing yourself and getting yourself ready and, and you know, please, you know, shower, brush your teeth, comb the hair that's there, and, uh, uh, you know, put, put, put your best foot forward. I, I get all that, but what, what he's saying is, look, you're looking on the outside, which is fine, but I'm looking on the inside. You can have it all together on the outside, but I know what a mess you are on the inside. When we come to Jesus to say, yep, that's me, then we are putting ourselves in position to hear from him. Just like Mary did. Just like Mary did. There's another word here. The next word is perception. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Perception. perception. Write it in the chat if you're online. That shows me you're awake. Perception. Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. It's one thing to put yourself in a position to hear God's word. It's another thing to listen to it and let it impact you and let it make a difference in your life. What is your perception of God? How big a God do you serve? Romans chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Plain to who? All of us. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What's he saying? You just need to look around you and you will gain a great perception of God. Did any of you catch the baseball game the other night in Iowa? Uh, they, they had a, a baseball game that was supposed to be last year, got canceled because of COVID, so they put it this year, and they had it in Iowa, first professional baseball game in Iowa ever, and it was on the anniversary of the movie Field of Dreams, okay? Kevin Costner was there, and, and at one point, they got a, a shot. I think it must have been from the blimp, but the shot just kind of came down over this incredibly immaculate baseball field with cornfields all around it and this absolutely unreal sunset of a sky just all kinds of beautiful colors it was immaculate it was as if somebody had painted that and somebody had it didn't just happen by chance god stroked that paint brush artistry together to paint that picture for us. And Paul says, all you got to do is see that. You can't help but see God. What is your perception of God? And here's why it's important, because our perception of God will affect our expectation of God. And our expectation of God will affect our anticipation of what he's going to do. It's all linked to your perception. How big is your God? How big is your God? 
Mary had a perception that she was eager to listen. She had a moment, and she didn't know if she'd ever have it again, and she was right at Jesus' feet. She had the best seat in the house, right there, and she was listening and hanging on every word. What God says makes a difference. Uh, Lifeway actually did um, a survey. Lifeway is the, it's kind of like the bookstore, the Christian education arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they did a survey, and this is what they found for people who engage with God and or his word four times a week or more. Okay? You ready for this? This is what they found out. For people who engage with God and his word Four times a week or more. Feeling lonely drops by 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. That one just kind of blows me away. You want to cut down on the DUIs, evidently? Check out God's word. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Here's a couple of jumps that I found interesting. Sharing your faith jumps by 200%. Discipling others jumps by 230%. That's the difference of when you sit at Jesus' feet and you listen and you let him speak to you. And the thing is, we've got it. It's not just a Sunday thing. We've got the opportunity to hear from him, hear of him, hear what he has to say. And we can do it every day. We can do it every day. Every day we get that chance to open his word, to listen to him. Are you taking advantage of that? Are you taking advantage of that opportunity? Are you taking advantage of that chance that you get to get in, to, to let God speak to you? And, and if we're not taking advantage of that, then it's on us, isn't it? We can kind of blame God. We could say, God, you know, this is on you. This is, and, and it's like, no, 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 no. No, we're the ones that have moved. We're the ones that have drifted. We're the ones that have... One of, one of my concerns, just as personal, but, but I know it's a concern of other pastors and that kind of thing, is that this whole year and a half that we have been through, with all things COVID and virus related, and, and we, you go to an online, which we still have, which we love, which is an awesome open door, but we go to an online service. And that's all we had to offer for a while. And for a while, everybody's like, this is awesome. This is great. You know, I mean, I can have my donut and my coffee and go to church at the same time. And then as soon as he's done, I can click off the TV and go on and get about my day. And man, this is awesome. And can I tell you who else thought it was awesome? Me. Nothing better than making some pancakes in between services. I enjoyed it. But then at some point, that begins to... And then it's almost like the longer we get further down the road, you know what? I did okay without 
church, without God, without community, without connection, I'm okay. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, I've, I've shared with you my stories from Mighty Warrior. You know, what, what am I part of? I don't even know. What is that thing called? CrossFit. There we go. I don't <clears throat> I think we should have a salute or something, you know? CrossFit. I don't know. Something. <laughs> or CrossFit. I don't know. You know. I should remember that, shouldn't I? <laughs> the cross. <laughs> I can't remember. What am I doing? Uh, anyways, CrossFit. Yeah. So, you know, my wife bought me this for a Christmas present, and now I've just kind of been hanging on to it. Do I like it? No. I can't stand it. Okay? But I like when it's over. Okay? When I walk out to my car, I feel like I did something because I'm just sweating profusely. And so that end of it I like. Here's what I don't like. What I don't like is missing about five or six days, which, which I've had to do this summer. And then I go back. Oh, I hate that. Because, man, can you feel it? Can you feel what you have lost? And, and they're honest enough. I mean, my, the guy that, that works with me is honest enough to say, uh, Billy, you understand we're waking up muscles that haven't been awake for a very long time. <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. <clears throat> Our spiritual life is a muscle. And when we don't put ourselves in position to hear from God, it's no big deal for a little while. But you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. And you keep going. And then all of a sudden, don't we wind up thinking, God, where are you? Where you been, man? Why, what, do you see what's going on? And God's like, I haven't moved. But you were right here, and you moved into the kitchen. You started getting busy with life. And you got to put yourself back in position to hear from him because that will change your perception of God. The more that you hear from him, the more that you hear from his word, all of a sudden your God will get bigger. Will your problems go away? Hear me. No. No. If problems went away, we'd never have funerals in this church. We've had our share, haven't we? If all the problems went away, then most Christians would never need a doctor, never need a hospital. We'd have some of our people that were unemployed because their services wouldn't be necessary. We don't live in a problem-free world. Jesus said as much. But what he said is, look, I've overcome the world. The world's going to give you fits. It's not going to make sense. Just as soon as you think you're coming out, all of a sudden you're dragged right back into it. I won't say what. <laughs> Two steps forward. Oh, seemingly three steps back. Come on. God, what? No, 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 no. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have difficulty. But take heart. What's that mean? Be of good cheer. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. And if you will keep yourself right here, if you will put yourself in position to hear from me, I will encourage your heart. I will speak to you. I will make a difference. I will be with you. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I have peace that passes understanding. I have joy overflowing that I want to give to you. 
But you, you got to put yourself in a position so that your perception of me can be increased and enhanced. The farther away we get from the feet of Jesus, the smaller our God becomes. And then you have people that have just, well, well I've walked away from the faith. Mm. I just better not even say anything. How much faith did you have to begin with? Okay, we got to move on. Next word is this. I think you'll all relate. Ready? Problems. <laughs> Problems. Say it with me. Ready? Problems. One more time. I have. <laughs> there we go. Problems, yeah. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Boy, talk about throwing somebody under the bus, right? I mean, there's a room full of people. She didn't even call out Lazarus, okay? She's not like, Lord, I mean, hasn't Peter heard this before? Could he come and give me a hand? No, it's my sister, right? Lord, my sister who shall go nameless, tell her to help me, right? Come on, Jesus, if you just tell her. And Jesus answered her and said to her, I love this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. You know, one of the terrible things about having Jesus in the house is he's able to drill right down to the heart of the matter, right? And what's he basically saying? Martha, your problem is not with your sister. You are concerned about so many things. You have so much worry. You've got so much on your mind. You're just throwing her under the bus because she's the nearest thing. And isn't it great, though? What's he? I'm sorry, but I wish he'd have just added one more, right? So he could have went, Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> That's the way I would have, Brady Bunch Arrow would have seen it, right? Martha, Martha, Martha. <clears throat> And I can't help when I read it. It's almost like that's the way Jesus said it. But it's not. It's not at all. He said it with so much love. And he said it with so much empathy. But it is interesting, isn't it, that he said it twice. He said her name twice. That wasn't even necessary a few chapters later when he calls her brother out from the grave. It's one time. Lazarus, come forth. And that's all that was needed. But in this case, Jesus knows he's dealing with someone who's troubled, who is worried. And he says, Martha, Martha. He's not yelling at her. He's not mad. Okay? I mean, come on. Give her a little credit, right? The guts to just go into a meeting where Jesus is speaking? <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, did she do that, you know, with a, Excuse me just a moment. Did she waggle her head a little bit, you know? Pardon me, I know this is all spiritual and everything, but Jesus, my sister, 
He says, Martha, you are worried about so much. So much. You got some issues. And that's okay. We all have issues. We all bring some issues to Jesus. And, and when we think, right, we sometimes think that we can go to him and he, well, he doesn't really know our issues. <laughs> yeah, he does. He can drill right down to it. Just like he did with Martha. Martha, you are worried. What's going on? Martha's distracted. You see, for Mary, it's all about worship. And for Martha, it was all about worry. And I, I would venture to tell you that whatever one you feed will be the one that will lead. Can I say that again? Whatever you feed is what will lead. Feed worry, feed anxiety, feed trouble. That's what will lead you. But if you feed worship, If you feed worship, somebody was telling me about a concert they went to last night with Chris Tomlin and Lauren Daigle and Bethel Music. I was like, yeah, I'd have gone to that. I need those every once in a while. I, I need to, to feed myself. I've, I've got a, a soundtrack that plays every Sunday morning when I'm kind of looking things over. Certain music that I want playing. I love all kinds of music, but I got certain songs that I need to take me right to the throne room of God if I can. I need that worship. And we need that throughout the week. We need to understand that our lives, Paul says, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we are an act of worship. And we've constantly got to be turning our mind over, cleaning our mind, transforming our mind. It is a spiritual act of worship, Paul says. And if we feed our minds with things that are just going to cause us more worry and more anger and more fear and more trouble, if that's what we feed, that's what's going to lead. Last word. Presence. Presence. Can you say it with me? Presence. Jesus. Jesus talking. He says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen it, Martha. And it will not be taken away from her. I'm not sending her into the kitchen, Martha. Because while you are doing what is good, was Martha doing anything wrong? No. Martha wasn't doing anything that most of us wouldn't have been doing, right? She wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing something good. But it wasn't what was best. What was best is to be in a position to hear from Jesus. What was best was to be in his presence. And, and Mary knew, I got this moment. I got this moment. Hey, have, you, have you ever thought about when, when we look at the Christmas story, how close, how close the innkeeper in Bethlehem came to having this miraculous moment? 
Now, now maybe he did. I mean, maybe somebody went out and got him and said, you know what, you might want to come to the stable. There's something going on out there. There's all kinds of shepherds. and I mean, maybe somebody did, but he was so close, right? If he'd have known, if he'd have known that the Jesus was going to be born, if he'd have known what was going to be ushered in that night, if he'd have known that angels were about to sing on a hillside, that shepherds were going to come and worship Jesus, if he'd have known that wise men were going to start a journey that would take them a couple of years until they got to Bethlehem to see the Messiah, if he'd have known, he'd have cleaned up his own room and said, come on in, stay here. He was so close. And I just wonder how many Christians there are who are so close to Jesus' moments. So close to the miraculous. So close to those moments that will make such a huge difference in our perception of God, in our knowledge of Him, in our relationship with Him, in our communication with Him. We're so close. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that the Pharisees drove Jesus crazy, because they were this close. They had it all here. They just could not get it here. They were this close. And some of them caught on. Nicodemus, he got it. And he even said, there are some others who know, we know you are from God. And in Acts, you read about some Pharisees who realized this is a work of God. But for most of them, they went around being this close to the miraculous, to the moments, to the presence. But they never made it. And sometimes we're this close. We're this close. There's, there's three types of people. There's, there's the people like Mary who, who put themselves in position to hear from God, who understand the importance of his presence, and they're not going to lose any of those moments. There, there's people like Martha, good, 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 good people. people, people that serve, in fact. But I'll tell you right now, there, there's a ton of people that, that serve Endeavor to serve in the church. Endeavor to serve humanity. Endeavor to be a good person. But they do so without being in the presence of God. They, they do so at the expense of those moments with Jesus. They do so at the expense of his presence. And, and Jesus was saying, look, that, that's all good. It's good stuff. We need it. You got to do it. But man, don't do it without being in my presence. Don't lose out when I'm in the house. Be at my feet. Be listening. Your life can change. Your perception of me can change if you'll put yourself in that kind of a position. And then, to be honest, there are people who aren't doing either. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's be honest. There are, there are people who, he's not in the house. He's not in their heart. But those are the people that you and I have the opportunity as the body of Christ to reach, to seek after, to say, hey, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for everything wrong you've ever done in your life. 
And he wants to forgive you. And he wants to give you a new heart. And he wants to give you a new life. And he wants to promise you a heaven that he's been creating for 2,000 years. And he told his followers, when I'm done, I'll come back and get you. But he gives us some warning about that. And I want to close with this. Joel is the chap, Joel is the, is the minor prophet that, that we end with today. It's just a small book in the Old Testament. But Joel, even though it's a short book, he had some incredible words from God that Peter himself would quote in the New Testament. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 11, God was giving to this prophet what would happen in the day of the Lord. What would happen when that time came? What would happen in the last days? And it says this, the day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? What's that? That's God is great. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief. That's what they used to do back in that day. They'd tear their clothes and put ashes on their head. God says, forget tearing your clothes. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. God is good. He's eager to relent and not punish. A few verses later, he says, verse 25, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. God has the power to give back that which was lost. What have you lost? Some of you have lost a great deal in the past 18 months. God has the power to give that back. I don't know when. I don't know how. All I know is I'm going to rely on the promises of God. I can give you back what you lost. But we've got to put ourselves in position, right? And then he says this. This is what he says, verse 28. Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Who's that? That's the young people. Your old men will dream dreams. Who's that? That's the old people. And your young men will see visions. Who's that? That's all the people in between. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. What's he saying? I'm going to give you one last crack at it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's what John chapter 3 verse 16 says. But for some reason he chose to use us to get that message to the world. And he says in the last days before I come, before I take my church home to be with me, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit on old people. I'm going to pour out my spirit on young people. I'm going to pour out my spirit on sons and daughters, moms and dads, grandmas, grandparents, men, women. I'm going to pour out my spirit on everyone who has put themselves in a position to hear from me because you, out of the overflow of your life, are going to be able to reach out to a lost world that still needs me and tell them, hey, I've got the answer. Hey, there's somebody who loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he gave his life for you. I'm going to pour out my spirit on my church. And when he does that, you're going to be able to tell. 
you're going to be able to tell. And, and I'm not saying, please trust me. Trust me when I say, I, I'm not looking next Sunday for people to be, you know, making laps during worship or something like that. But, and I use this illustration, I know, a lot. But I just, I, I have to share it with you. When he says, I will pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit on my people. I don't think he's done it yet. If that's, and I, forgive me if you're sitting like that, because that's the way I sit all the time. So I'm not, but I'm just, come on. I dare you. Try to bless me. Here I am. Make sure somebody puts a check mark next to my name and I was here. Now I'm going to go out and tell people about the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe tonight we'd fill that baptism with prune juice. So the people that get baptized could just come out of the water looking like most people who already have been baptized. No! We don't need to be a people that walk around looking like we were baptized in lemon juice or prune juice and just come out. I will pour out my spirit. What does that mean? It means, it means that we're going to put some priority on putting ourselves in position to hear from God. And not everything in the world is going to take precedent over that. It means, it means, and you know, you know. In fact, some of you would say, dear God, does he do anything but like talk about sports? I love sports. So no, I won't, because that's what I love. I love sports, okay? I've loved them since I was a kid. I can't play them all, but I love it. I love to try, and I love, I've never played baseball, okay? Wiffle ball, yes, that was big with me. And also, we used to play baseball with this humongous bat. Remember those? A big plastic bat? Oh, I could hit with that thing, okay? I'm good with a big fat bat. That, that I'm good with. I can hit that over my backyard fence. But I love baseball. I love watching. Last night, 35,000 people at Comerica, you know? It was packed for the first time since like, you know, 2016. And uh, so many people, and they're all there. And he gets up, you know, to bat. You know who I'm talking about, right? He's, he wants to hit that 500th. Miggy, Miggy. They're all chanting. It's an awesome, it's electric. That's what the announcer said. It's electric. And it should be. And it's awesome. And we cheer and we get excited. And I watched the game, and I'm sorry I didn't hit his 500th, but I'm glad they won because I don't like the Cleveland Indians, and I'm glad that we're in second place, and I want to pass them. Okay? Them and the Buckeyes, and well, never mind. I better not get into it. But I get excited. I get excited. No, I'm not asking that we come in here and go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay? I think he'd look down and go, okay, calm down. But can I ask, why? Why do we get so much more excited over that? Why do we get so much concern over what's going on in the kitchen and not put ourselves in position to hear what God says? And when he speaks to us, we don't respond. And when people get saved, we're like, eh, whatever. And when people head into the waters of baptism, that needs to do something to us. And the pastor shouldn't have to start the applause. It should just kind of well up from out of us. Not because we're equating somebody getting baptized with Miguel Cabrera hitting his 500th home run. It's actually more important. You know what I'm saying? 
And yet a whole thing, can, a whole message can go by. And if you're not careful, you're just going to kind of sit there and be like, all right, and you'll leave and you'll be kind. Nice message, Pastor. I'm not expecting it to change me at all, but nice message. And we're just, something's going on. We're not putting ourselves in position for God's spirit to come. And again, I know when I talk like that, you know, spirit, you know, and all that, you kind of get a little nervous. And I don't, I don't mean to make you that way, but at the same time, I do think that when we get to heaven, we're some of us, some of us died in the old Baptist. We're in for a rude awakening. Well, this place is a lot louder than I thought. These people seem to be excited. What in the world? There's just going to have to be some changes that happen. And I'm saying, not make a few of them now. Let's get excited about the things of God. Doesn't mean that there aren't times of reverence. Doesn't mean that there aren't times of meditation. I mean, the Bible does say, be still and know that I am God. But the Bible also says, praise me with every instrument that you can think of. And even praise me on a loud biblical, clanging biblical, symbol biblical. And for some reason, like for whole generations, we like took the symbols and buried them in the sand of the beach. Oh, he was just kidding. Let's, don't lose your excitement over the other things of life. No, 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 no. Jesus came to give you an abundant life. But can I tell you something? Let's be in a position where God's spirit can be poured out on us so that we can make a difference in the lives of other people. Because I'm telling you, this world needs some help. And it's not going to come from the government it's not even going to come from the armed forces. It's not going to come from the economy. It's going to come from Jesus. And you and I have that. How awesome that you have been given the opportunity and the power to change the world. Can we change the whole world? No, but we could change somebody's world. We could change somebody. And I, I want us so badly to be a church that is in position for God's spirit to fall so that he can make a difference on us, in us, through us. All right, I'm done. That's all I got. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, this, uh, this is just a short few verses that give us a glimpse into time that you had with three of your best friends. But man, there's so much to unpack out of this brief story. And Lord, you said that there was one thing that needed to be brought out, and that is the fact that being in your presence and being in a position to hear from you is best. It's best. And there are so many other things that are good that we can be a part of, but not at the expense of losing out on the opportunity to hear from you. May we take advantage of that on Sundays. Yes, 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 definitely. But Lord, may we understand that you want to speak to us every day. May we take a few moments to hear from you. May we take a few moments to talk to you. Lord, may we understand that even in our service for you, that is out of the overflow of being in your presence and hearing from you.
And with our heads still bowed in prayer, you're here with us this morning, or maybe you're watching with us online. It's possible that there's never been a moment when you have actually needed Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be your Savior. There is no greater message that this church will ever preach than the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you. And he wants to come into your heart today to forgive you of your sin. New Testament says he'll make you a new creation. Old things will be passed away. All things become new. We want to give you that opportunity. And if that's your decision today, if you've, if you've never made that decision before, and you want to know today that Christ lives in you, and your sin is forgiven, someday you'll live with him, then I simply want you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But if you want to know that today, simply pray this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe you love me. I believe you died for me and you rose again for me. Come into my heart and forgive my past. Forgive my sin. I make you the Lord of my life. In the quietness of this moment with our heads still bowed in prayer, if you prayed that prayer, would you just quietly, quickly just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ. Yeah, God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. God bless you. Yep. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me. I prayed that prayer today. If you're online with us, there's a tab that comes up in front of your screen. It says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just hit that? Let us know of your decision. I, I won't even know your name, but God will. And you can be sure that we'll be praying for you as you take these next steps in your new Christian life. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for your word. And Lord, especially right now, we thank you for those who today with an uplifted hand said, yeah, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Father, do something for them in these next few days, tangible, something that they can touch and feel, sense. Something that will help them realize, Lord, the importance, the enormity, the eternity of the decision they just made today. Lord, help them to grow in their relationship with you. And Lord, for those who have known you for however long, may we seek to be at your feet and in your presence, listening, putting ourselves in position to hear from you. Not just so you can make a difference in us, but may we look for opportunities that you can make a difference through us, is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.